Under the pine needles the fires burn, deep and smokeless in the mold. In heat and in darkness and decay there is life. There is life and growth. It grew, but it was not alive. It existed. It was never born. And it grew and moved about without living. It crawled out of the darkness and the hot, damp mold into the cool of a morning. It was lumped and crusted with its own hateful substances. And pieces of it dropped off as it crawled, dropped off and lay writhing, then stilled and sank, putrescent, into the forest loam. Patches of it shone wetly in the golden glow. Parts of it were nubbled and flaked. And whose dead bones had given it the form of a man? It was huge. It had no mercy, no laughter, no beauty. It had strength and great intelligence. And perhaps it could not be destroyed. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Swamp Things, comic book muckmen, bog beasts, and mud monsters. Episode 1, Supernatural Thrillers featuring It, from the world-famous chiller by Theodore Sturgeon. Hello and welcome to the first episode in a series of episodes about swamp creatures in comic books. And this has been a long time coming, I can tell you, because I've wanted to do this for a long, long time. But things got in the way. Things just, you know, life gets in the way. I guess it's not really getting in the way um, if it's life. You know, life is just what it is. And doesn't make things easy sometimes. Let's put it that way. Anyway, what is this show? This show is part of the comic book time machine, but this show is where I am specifically looking at one of my favorite subgenres in a subgenre of a medium. Um, the medium is comics. The genre is horror comics, and the subgenre is swamp monster horror comics. Now, listen, um, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know I love swamp monsters. I love swamp monsters. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why. It's an unnatural affinity for these muck-encrusted mockery of men, these um, mockeries of humanity that wear the skin of the earth of just yucky, swampy, icky stuff. Well, it's finally time that I've gotten around to talking about some of these things on this podcast. And I've been waiting and waiting and intending and never got around to it. And <laughs> what made me get around to it? Well, it was man thing. It was a new series of Man-Thing. Um, listen, I like the character. I like his series. I like Steve Gerber's take on Man-Thing and, and what he did to the Man-Thing uh, character and creature and stories with Man-Thing uh, took something that shouldn't have been what it was and, and turned it into um, something really special. 
and and unique. And we'll talk about Man Thing later, but for right now, here's the deal. Um, I intended to do this with the new Swamp Thing series. Um, I just didn't get to it. And, you know, the Swamp Thing series was a six-issue miniseries. It's not around anymore. It's done. And it's good. And I hope to talk about it at some point with this kind of sub-feed that I'm doing here on the Comic Book Time Machine. But the Man-Thing series was then announced. And I thought, well, this is my time. I need to do this for the Man-Thing series. And I read the first issue of the new Man-Thing series. And the first issue was written by R.L. Stein. And... I don't know if I've said it on the comic book time machine because I haven't talked about swamp monsters much on the comic book time machine, but I was inspired to be a writer partially because of some things that R.L. Stein wrote. Now, I didn't know it was him who inspired me until um, later on when I was looking into some things. Uh, and I'm not talking about Goosebumps. I'm talking about his twist-a-plot books that he wrote uh, way back in the late 70s or early 80s. And in early elementary school, for me, Especially, you know, the Time Raider was the first book in Twist a Plot. Now, not uh, not accidentally, uh, the first book in the Choose Your Own Adventure series was The Cavern of Time. Or, or I think it's something like that in the title anyway. And Twist a Plot was a ripoff of Choose Your Own Adventure. And their first series was called Time Raider. And so you have these two time travel things, both starting, and I loved both of them. And R.L. Stein wrote the Time Raider book, and I love that book. And one of my first published comic book, uh, that was self-published, but it was published, was a time travel story because I love time travel stories. And it goes back to when I was a kid reading The Cavern of Time, reading The Time Raider, watching Voyagers on TV, which if you have if you saw that kid, that, when you, that show when you were a kid, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That was an awesome, awesome show. Very, very fun. And so R.L. Stein was one of those early influences for me uh, when it came to you know time travel and and uh, not just time travel but stories. There's end- endings in that book, The Time Raider, that still stick with me. There's one where you turn from one page to another and you're caught in a time loop and you're just flipping the pages back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and it's it's horrifying when you think about it. But you're caught in this time loop and you know, turn to page ninety six. You're in a time loop. Turn to page fifty turn to page 50 and oh you're in a time loop turn to page 96 you turn to page 96 and you're just going back and forth and back and forth so yeah bottom line is rl stein is one of those people who was an early influencer for me then he did goosebumps which was not part of my childhood but i know it was part of many many children and then he was announced to be the writer on the man thing comic book and i was excited because man thing was coming back in a comic book and it had this big name writer, not someone that I was excited about because his writing, um, someone I was excited about because of the stature of his name. And I thought this is good because this is going to bring man thing to the forefront of, of people's consciousness, you know? And, and I think it sold pretty decently for the first issue. But when I got that first issue, my plan was I was going to read that book and I was going to do this show. And I read that book and I was very, unfortunately, very disappointed in it. Um, I'll get into why later. I am going to talk about that series eventually, but um, basically it comes down to the plot I had some trouble understanding the plot and there was some interesting stuff that could be, you know, some strings to pull on. Uh, but then the second issue 
came out and I got busy. And so when the second issue came out, there was no way I was going to be able to do this because, uh, like I said, you know, the whole thing I said in the issue or episode 100 of this podcast, I had a deadline. And so fun comics got put by the wayside and podcasting about fun comics got put by the wayside. And it was okay though, because issue two did not do much to help me <laughs> to feel better about things. And then uh, issue three has now come out since then. And I'm not sure when issue four is coming out, but it's coming out soon. And I'm just not enjoying it. And I'm probably going to continue buying it, but I'm just not enjoying it. So I thought to myself, I want to still do this. I want to still do something that's kind of a love letter to my favorite subgenre of my favorite medium. What can I do? And I thought, well, what if I go back to the beginning? So that's what I'm doing here for this episode. I'm going back to the beginning. Now, the format for this uh, series of Swamp Thing episodes Swamp Things, I should say, um, podcast is it'll be in the main feed of the comic time machine. Uh, eventually, I might make a sub feed where it's going to be its own thing, but it's probably going to be about monthly as far as the schedule, um, assuming that there's nothing that gets in the way of that, which, you know, it's podcasting, so something's going to get in the way of it, right? Uh, but anyway, um, about an, an episode per month of this. And each episode, there is going to be a main topic, which will be, for this episode, it's Supernatural Thrillers number one, featuring it from Theodore Sturgeon's original story, which we'll get into what that means and why it's an important thing, especially since this comic actually came out after Man-Thing and Swamp Thing was on the shelves. And so why is this important? Well, we'll get into it. But um, I'll also cover a short Swamp Thing monster story and that's something else i mean i collect comics based on there's a swamp monster in it i mean that's not my full collection but that's one of the reasons why my collection isn't worth very much is because i collect things that i like and are interesting to me and i'm not collecting based on any kind of speculation other than am i gonna like this and there are comics that I bought just because they had a really cool looking cover and then i would hope that the story inside lives up to that cover. Usually it doesn't, but on rare occasions when it does, oh man, it's so exciting. And actually I bought this comic based on that. This comic was bought because of the cover and the idea that there was a swamp monster inside. Um, now this was years and years and years ago before I was really doing this, you know, trying to track down, you know, these kind of obscure, um, small press you know, kind of things. Um, but yeah, the, that's how why I bought this comic, the Supernatural Thrillers comic, and I'll tell the story of that, of that in a moment here. But anyway, um, so some short story, uh, it'll be a main thing, a short story, and then it will be a, um, I'll talk about uh, swamp creatures on the screen, and that might be a movie, it might be an episode of a show, or it might be um, maybe even <laughs> talk about the Swamp Thing TV show, uh, but it'll be about swamp monsters on the screen. So for this episode, Supernatural Thrillers featuring it. And then we're also going to talk about a story by Bernie Wrightson. And I really, when I realized what this, the, the timing is kind of bad, but Bernie Wrightson has passed away recently. And so I'm going to be talking about his story, The Muck Monster. And then also we'll be talking about um, the swamp monsters on the screen Justice League Dark just came out recently in the last couple of months, and that features Swamp Thing. 
And then there will also be some promos I'll be playing. Promos that I play are for people that I listen to their podcasts, or in some cases I listen to and have been on their podcasts. Um, but they are podcasts that I recommend because I like them. And so that's that's what you're going to hear. So that's the introduction. And you know, at some point, maybe we'll do some sort of cycle analysis and figure out what it is about swamp creatures that uh, really appeals to me. I don't know, eventually. But this introduction has gone on way too long, and I still have one more thing I want to talk about. This is a really interesting podcast for me because I'm actually podcasting outside um, <laughs> in the mountains of Tennessee, sitting out on this back porch of a cabin that we have rented for our vacation. And I'm looking out, and there's all these trees all over the place, and we are just in the middle of nowhere. Um, but because I'm outside, you might every once in a while you might hear. Um, some sort of bugs. It's not very windy at all, though. It's very, very still right now. And there's, you know, some cars that might go by every once in a while. But, um, and I think the people who are in the cabin across the valley there, there doesn't sound like they're in their, their pool anymore. But um, there was a creepy moment, though, that I did have our first night here. Uh, there's a kind of a noise in uh, the room that the girls were sleeping in. And we thought maybe it was a, a mouse in the wall and that's probably what it was. But I was hoping that maybe it was a tree like brushing against the wall. And so I went outside and, you know, it's about 11 o'clock at night. It's very dark and a little cloudy, but it wasn't rainy. And so I went outside and there's not even a tree touching that wall on the outside. So clearly it was something that was inside the wall, a mouse, but it's a really nice new cabin. And so, um, we were, I felt reasonably sure that there wouldn't be any mice inside the cabin and certainly not in their, their room, just in the wall. And it stopped after that. They, they didn't hear it anymore. But I thought, you know, the cabin is on a hill and the first level, the, you know, the very front of the cabin is on, you know, just on the edge of that, that hillside and it's held up by, uh, walls, but you know, there's, there's nothing underneath the cabin. There's no like stairs downstairs to a, a basement or anything like that. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go and look under the, the deck that I'm sitting on right now. So I went around the side of the house. I came under the deck and as I'm walking along the wall, uh, there's this brick wall that's, you know, underneath the deck. And, and I walk along to the very, uh, to the other side of that, and there's a door. <laughs> I thought that's really interesting, but there's a padlock on the door. But the padlock was unlocked. So I went ahead and opened the door and looked in, and there's this crawl space slash cellar slash, um, you know, it's the side of the hill. So it's the crawl space, you know, at the front of the building is a crawl space. But by by the time you're at the door where I'm at, it's a, you know, a full on cellar basement kind of thing. But the light was on. Someone had left the light on. And I'm just thinking to myself, I just stepped into the the inciting incident between act one and act two of a really bad, scary movie where the father goes to check out and see if everything's okay outside, walks into the cellar and the light is on and there is something waiting for him there. Now, what was waiting for me down there was the hot water heater and the frame of a uh, uh, hide-a-bed that they apparently decided, you know, they didn't need to uh, put it on the truck and drive it all the way out to wherever they could take it. They could just put it here in the, the cellar. So there's this rusted uh, frame for a hide-a-bed. And that was what was waiting for me there. But 
anyway, uh, that's where I am right now. This is a very unusual thing for me. I've never podcasted from the outdoors before. Uh, I do know of people who have and do every once in a while, but this is where I'm at and it's really nice. And I think a little bit appropriate that I'm out here podcasting in nature as I'm talking about, um, you know, uh, like I said, that subgenre of horror that combines not just the horror of nature, of the, you know, creatures, but also, or, or the elements really, but also the internal horror of, uh, you know, what is inside of a man. And yeah, so <laughs> it's kind of cool and I'm enjoying myself. And that's what podcasting and comics are about, right? I mean, you need to be enjoying yourself, and if you're podcasting, you're not enjoying it, then, you know, push through a little bit because you might just be going through a slump. But, you know, if you're not really not enjoying it, then then maybe maybe you shouldn't be doing it or, or switch switch it up a little bit. Uh, and the same with comics. You know, if you are reading comics and you are not enjoying them, uh, then you're doing something wrong. Uh, comics are me- comics are meant to be fun. Now, that's not to say that every comic book you read has to be you know something that makes you laugh or something that excites you. Uh, when I say comics are meant to be fun, and if you're not having fun reading your comics, you're not you're not doing it right. Um, there is something that could could be considered fun, uh, which isn't. <laughs> I'm I'm stretching the definition of fun, but you know I read Mouse and it touches me. And that emotional experience, it would not be something I would call fun, but there is something that you get out of it. And, you know, so it's a broad term that I'm using to say, look, if you're not, if comic books is just making you angry, then you're doing something wrong, you know? And that's why with Man Thing, I'm still buying it, but, you know, I'm just letting it go and just enjoying this other thing. And instead of, you know, doing what I thought I'd be doing three months ago, um, here I am now and I've reread a comic book twice, uh, actually more than that. I think I've reread it twice for my notes, but then I just reread it again here on vacation. And then I read it, you know, 10 years ago when I bought it and it's fun. It's just fun. So I'm going to go ahead and we'll, uh, we'll have a, a podcast promo and then, uh, we will get into the primary topic. Hello, listeners. It's your friend, PJ Frightful. That's PJ, as in podcast jockey. And I'm dropping dreadful new episodes every two weeks. When the clock strikes midnight, the podcasting hour shines a candle on the dark corners of DC Comics. Those supernatural sagas of Swamp Thing, Dead Man, The Spectre, and more. The podcasting hour. It's a rotating anthology series boasting the terrifying talents of Ryan Daly, Rob Kelly, Paul Hicks, Ben Avery, Doug Zavisha, and other unfortunate souls. Prepare for the unexpected, open a doorway to nightmare, and enter the houses of mystery and secrets. The moon is full, and the dark spirits are rising. For it's midnight, the podcasting hour. Coming this Halloween, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Beware.
So Supernatural Thrillers, number one, was a uh, adaptation series where they were going to do an anthology of adaptations. Uh, issue two of Supernatural Thrillers was going to be The Invisible Man. Now, I have not read it. I haven't seen it. Uh, I just know that it was going to be The Invisible Man based on the promo from the uh, editorial page, the Thriller Fillers page. They didn't have any letters yet, but Roy Thomas wrote a what he called a somewhat personal pronouncement and it's him talking about different things like how this book came to be and how they got around from doing um, lackluster horror and trying to get into something where they were actually going to have more fun with it and, and do new and interesting stuff and so what was some of the new and interesting stuff well it was going back to uh, the original Swamp Monster story and so the story that I'm talking about here right now uh, it is not it, the story itself predates the man thing and the swamp thing and the heap. Honestly, uh, it does not. You know, the comic book does not, but the story itself does. The story itself first appeared in a pulp magazine called Unknown, and it was written by Theodore Sturgeon. And Theodore Sturgeon is a one of those luminaries of science fiction. And, and fantasy. Uh, this is one of his earlier stories, but um, he wrote this story about a swamp monster that terrorizes a small family that's living out on the farm. And, you know, I say it like that, it doesn't sound like much, but there is a lot to the story. And I've read the story as well. Uh, the story is reprinted in the Swamp Men book by Two Morrows. And so what's, it's, it's kind of cool because you get to, in that book, the Swamp Men book, you get to see where these characters kind of had their first, you know, this is the granddaddy right here. Now, the story itself, what's interesting is the Swamp Monster is not just a creature that rises up from the earth. It is a creature that was once a man and does not remember being a man and it kind of the story starts with it coming into consciousness and trying to you know basically going through the whole process of getting to the point where it thinks therefore it is and as it's figuring out its life it comes across different life forms and some of those life forms are hostile and some of those life forms are not but it's just really really curious and does not understand that the things that it is curious about is hurting it's a little bit of a frankenstein story too in that way it's just that it's not quite as intelligent as the frankenstein monster but this story then inspired um I, I, there's no way it didn't inspire the heap and the heap is one of the one of if not the first comic book swamp creatures and it's a pilot who crash landed in um, World War II it's a German pilot and sheer force of will brought it back to life or maybe it was mother nature or maybe it was any number it has it has a ton of different origin stories but there's no way that this was not inspiring the heap and i look at this and think to myself man thing is definitely inspired by this i mean this creature is just driven by curiosity in a lot of the same ways you know mindless curiosity in a lot of the same ways that man thing is driven by mindless empathy and curiosity not toward just stuff but toward emotion this is curious about stuff 
And so the, the story itself is, uh, it's a good story. So it's not just the first, it's also really good. <laughs> and then Roy Thomas adapted that into a script. And Marie Severin and Frank Giacola are the artists on this book. And I, I have to say, I like the book. I like the book quite a bit. Now, there are three ways that I'm going to judge swamp creature stories. Okay, the questions I will ask, is the creature good? Is the cover good? And is the content good? I mean, the creature must be a worthy, worthy creature, because that's what this is all about. Swamp creatures, right? The cover is something that I want to judge because I judge these books by their cover. I do. And one of the questions we're going to ask about each of the covers when we talk about the, you know, kind of render that final judgment is, is a poster worthy? Is this worthy of being a poster on the wall? And then there's the content because story is important too. You know, I read comics mainly for story. Uh, now, swamp creatures, uh, horror, you know, those kind of things. I also do read for the art, um, which is why, you know, is, is the creature a good creature, a good looking creature? Is it scary or is it uh, sympathetic? And so those are some things I'll be looking at as I'm asking myself things about the, the book, the comic itself. And it's, there's some interesting stuff in the Swamp Men book about where this story came from, how Roy Thomas uh, got the, uh, the rights to do it. He actually uh, just went and picked up the phone and had to give Theodore Sturgeon a call. And he was the one who did it, and he was really nervous about doing it because this is, you know, he, Roy Thomas is a comic book guy who's been doing comics for a long time. You know, but this was the first kind of thing like that that he did. And so, the, you know, this comes from 1972. Uh, the cover date is December of 72. And I don't have internet out here in the woods. And so I don't really have any good way of looking up uh, to see um, what Mike's Amazing World uh, says about the, the actual release date. But yeah, I mean, so this is pre... Star Wars for sure. I don't know if this is pre-Conan for, for Roy Thomas, but uh, you know this is early on, and I, I don't think it is pre-Conan. If I remember correctly, he wasn't worried about finding out about the, uh, the rights for Conan because Conan's creator uh, was no longer alive. He was dealing with the Howard estate, not with the man himself. And with Sturgeon, he was dealing with the man himself. But I, apparently it was a pleasant conversation, and everything worked out okay and what came out of it a great comic that cannot ever be reprinted because no one knows what the rights are how the rights work uh it was pretty loose back then and i don't know what they actually got in writing for the contract or anything like that um again the way i remember reading about this was that theater sturgeon needed some money at the time and so they sent him a check and that, that was pretty much it and so this was reprinted in uh, a magazine and I do want to try and track down that magazine because it covers about the same but it has some slight variations to it and just see the art in, in a bigger form but it's not going to be reprinted in any classic um, monster reprints the way that a lot of uh, the Monsters Unleashed 
uh, monsters are getting some reprints right now because they're um, they're featuring heavily in that book. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this book, this comic is something you're going to have to find in a reprint. But uh, if you like swamp creature stories, well, maybe that's something you want to do. Now, I'm not going to spoil everything completely. I'm going to talk a little bit about the story, uh, but I'm not going to spoil the story completely because I think it is worth reading. And I, I guess I'm kind of spoiling my impression here. But this this is a good story. Uh, the cast of the story, this is how I'm kind of kind of tell the story of this, of it. The cast is the monster. And the monster is a new life form that has come to life in the forest. And he's more plant than beast. And he's learning about itself and the world around it. And he's learning that living creatures when torn apart do not piece themselves back together and in fact there's a really interesting scene you know starts out like i said uh in the opening of this episode where i read the first page of of this book it just kind of started to exist and you know it's alive well then it comes across kimbo the dog and Kimbo the dog is a loyal creature, and it's the first of the Swamp Monster's victims in its quest to understand the world around it. And when the creature tears apart Kimbo, uh, you don't ever see it in the art, but you know you kind of see it, and then you can't really see what it's doing, but you can tell what it, it's, it's doing something with the dog, and it can't put it back together. But then it sees its eyes. And when the thing was alive, its eyes were moving and seeing. And now that it's dead, its eyes aren't moving anymore. Its eyes are lifeless. And then night comes. And the creature, it can't see. And it believes itself to be dead. So it lays down as if it's dead. And it's just really one of the strengths of the story is the way that it enters the head of the creature. This is both the comic story and the, the original. It enters the head of the creature and asks you, you know, to try and understand it. And you see a lot of this kind of storytelling happening with man thing caption boxes telling you, Man thing is attracted to the fear of this person or to the laughter of this person or to the curiosity of this person and asking you to enter into man things consciousness. Well, here it's doing the same thing. Now, Kimbo doesn't last long in the story, uh, but Kimbo is owned by a family of three. Uh, they're the father, the mother, and the daughter. But Kimbo is also loved by a fourth member of the family and that's alton now the dog kimbo may not be his but when he discovers the dead body of kimbo he decides he will not stop until he finds the beast probably a bear that tore the dog apart and part of this comes down to that dog is his family uh, his brother has a family and he has kimbo even though kimbo belongs to the brother uh but he loves that dog because that dog helped him save his niece from a bear. So he becomes the second victim of the creature. 
Unfortunately, the niece ends up going out into the woods to try and find her uncle. And <laughs> the niece is Babe. She's a young girl who finds herself uh, out there not knowing there's a creature out there and not knowing that the creature can reason but can't understand much. And so when she does realize that there's a creature there, she must survive through her wits, hoping all the while that she'll be rescued by Corey. Corey, who was sent out to find Kimba and sent out to find Alton by his wife, Clissa. And as he finds those victims, he realizes that something awful is happening and he finds himself in a race against time. <laughs> so that's the setup. And I'm not going to get into how it all plays itself out, but it's there's some tension and there's some it's, it's interesting and it's it's well told. Now, there's some things that stick out to me, and one is the child endangerment. <laughs> and the the I'll just put it this way. Uh, there are consequences to everything that happens in this story, and it's it's sad. Uh, honestly, it's 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 horrifying. It's bad. Another thing that sticks out to me is that there's child endangerment, and there's also a dead dog. This story does what modern horror, dares not do it kills the dog which <laughs> i'll never understand why uh horror movies they will kill almost anyone else but you you don't do the dog and when you kill the dog you know you're in for a particularly brutal brutal horror story the other thing is the creature itself which like i said is clearly an inspiration for the swamp thing man thing and heap but what's interesting to me is, like I said before, is that this is not just a creature coming to life from the earth. This is someone brought back to life as something less than human. And that's something that most Swamp Monster stories that I like and that I'm drawn to are about this transformation from man to sub-man, from human to subhuman, And I guess, honestly, from woman to sub-woman, but that doesn't happen as much. So the book itself, let's start with the cover. The cover is by Jim Steranko. And I really, really, really like this cover. This is what caused me to buy the book. I buy comic books with swamp creatures in them based on their cover. And there are sometimes I'll buy one with a bad cover. But if I see a really cool cover, it's going to be hard for me not to pick it up. And this, I happened to be at San Diego Comic-Con when I bought this. Uh, I was there promoting some some comics for one of my publishers. And we happened to be stuck in an area that was surrounded by vendors who were selling comic books from the 70s primarily. And I went and was looking through uh, one of the vendor stuff at the end of the day, one of the days, and found this. I do not know how much I paid for it. It wasn't much though, because I don't pay much for my comics. I just, I can't afford to do that. I don't buy collectibles with, as far as comics go, because I'm going to get it out and I'm going to read it. And so for this, you know, it was just something I saw and, oh, it, interesting title. Oh, look at that monster. And you have this globby, slimy monster. It literally looks more like sludge from the Ultraverse than it does uh, look like the creature inside, but it has this really cool effect for the eyes and the mouth, and it's got dripping slime. And uh, but there's there's still some. It's not just slime. There there is some um, weight 
to the physicality of the creature, and it, it's really more, uh, I guess, earth than than mud. It, there's, I don't know how to explain it, but it's cool, and it's being shot at. There's there's three guys. One looks like a gangster with a handgun, and one looks like a very very um, intrepid uh, explorer who's firing a rifle, and then behind him there's another guy with a rifle, and the the shot goes, I don't know how he takes the shot. That's the one bad thing about this cover is the angle of the shot. There's no way it should be entering the creature's shoulder where it does and exiting the creature's shoulder where it does, because uh, it, it actually looks like it's, it has to go around. It, he's standing back so far. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's, it's really cool looking. There's bats in the background and then the, the moon has these streaks of cloud, but they're red and they fade into the, the red sky behind the men it's a cool cover um and i couldn't pass it up and i also purchased uh, i believe uh giant size man thing number one not going to make the joke but everyone knows the joke i don't have to make the joke and it's really unfortunate that there's the joke but there it is anyway uh the cover is a great cover the script itself uh it's roy thomas did the script and he really does a pretty good job of uh show don't tell but there is, it's a really good adaptation. It's a little bit wordy, but the reason it's wordy is to retain the style of Theodore Sturgeon's original. And so I read this originally, what, 10 years ago, nine years ago when I purchased it. And I really, really liked it. Then I got the Swamp Men book and read the story that this is based on. And I really, really liked that. And then not too long after that, I read this again. And it was really cool to see how well he adapted and also how well he retained, like I said, the voice of the writer and the different voices of the different sections of the story. And so it's wordy, but there's, it's got that style. Now, this is something I've tried to do with some adaptations that I've written, uh, particularly um, you know, the, the Hedge Knight for, with George Martin's uh, characters, Dunk and Egg. And I don't think I did it as well as Roy Thomas has done here he took something that was well i guess it was a shorter story but he had also uh, i can't remember how many pages the story actually is but he didn't have a lot of pages um i think 24 22 something actually i can see it right here if i flip to the end it's oh, okay no it's 30 31 pages of story and he does a great job with it but he had less room, you know, and not a lot of room. And I've, I've had more room to work with things and it's not easy to do. And, you know, it can get really wordy. And I, you know, the hedge night, I look at the first hedge night and there are some pages where I'm like, how many words are on that page? That writer needs to shut up. The writer being me, not George Martin. Uh, but it really needed to have you know fewer words on the page, but he does a good job of it. Uh, the art is by Mary Severin, and it is great. The creature is muddy, the creature is mossy, the creature is moldy, and the creature looks like it could easily overpower an adult. It could easily you know, kill a dog with its bare hands. It looks like it probably stinks. And you, know, you can't smell it from the page unless your comic book maybe is you know, decaying or something like that. Although I'm sitting here, and I have the grill right next to me, and I'm smelling the the steak that I cooked earlier today. And I'm wondering, I wonder if it smells like that. Uh, the action scenes are, are energetic and have movement and there's a lot of implied motion. Um, 
Kimbo versus the monster is a great fight. Alton versus the monster is a great fight. The one thing that doesn't work the greatest for me is at the end uh, with Babe, the, the daughter character. There's this building dread, and it works, but script-wise, uh, the the buildup with Babe, just doing her little girl playing, where she doesn't realize something's wrong, but she's playing and dancing around and everything before the creature gets there, it doesn't, I don't know, it feels like there, there's too much of it, and you know we're just kind of biding our time with that while the creature comes nearer, but when the creature's actually there and slowly approaching her and reaching for her and actually grasping her, uh, the beats that follow that are, are exciting and, and they're gripping. And, and in the end, this is truly a horror story because it shows us all this stuff with the monster. It shows us all these things going on with, the, like I said, the horror of tearing apart a person, tearing apart a dog, going after a child. Um but there's a lingering aftermath and we get to see it. There's not, it's not a happy ending. Now it may not be the unhappy ending that you'd expect, uh, but it certainly threw me off and it was kind of, it threw me off multiple times because when I first read it, I thought, wait, this is what, Oh, interesting. Then I read the original story and I didn't remember the ending and Oh, wow, that's an interesting ending. So it threw me off twice. It, it was an unexpected ending for me twice. I expected everyone to escape unscathed. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I expected the main cast to escape unscathed. And then the this, this story caused me to think I was wrong in that. And then I was wrong again that about being wrong. And then um, after the climax, I was thrown off again. Uh, but it's a fitting ending. Uh, and in some ways, it's a, it's a realistic ending. In other ways, it's a nihilistic ending. Uh, but it does what good horror does. It causes you to kind of face your fears and the ending brings a whole new set of fears. Uh, and the ending is done just in a very, very short amount of space, just, you know, a little bit more than a page, but there's a couple panels. There's one that as a parent, there's one panel that just fills me with lingering dread, existential horror. Okay. Uh, there's, there's the second to last panel is, uh, if you're a parent, it, it'll get you. It'll get you. And that's what good horror does is it gets you. Okay. Um, this all, this whole thing, that's the another thing about the story is this whole thing, all the horror of this is caused by the spontaneous creation of a beast. And then these people just happen to be in the wrong place at the right time. And that is life right there. I mean, anything bad that happens in life is because you are in a place where a thing has happened and it just happens to catch you. Now, maybe you cause this thing to happen or maybe it's complete accident. Maybe it's, you know, an act of nature where, you know, there's a storm and a tree falls on your van to pull something from personal experience. Um, but that's, that's what life is like. And this definitely fits into that more nihilistic worldview, certainly a more real nihilistic worldview than, than the worldview that I have uh, personally, but it's still a really, really effective story. And I recommend the comic. I recommend the original story, uh, the judgment. Okay. The creature, great creature, the cover. I already talked about a great cover poster worthy. It's poster worthy. Uh, the content story, I really, really like the story. So there it is. I'm going to play another podcast promo, and then we will look at a, a backup segment. I don't know what I'm going to call these segments, and I don't know. That's part of just doing this is that I didn't 
there's part of me that's just waiting to do this like as the perfect podcast. But then I got to thinking, you know what? It doesn't have to be the perfect podcast. It just has to be the podcast that I want to listen to. And so that's what it is. This is the Swamp Monster podcast that I want to listen to. So right now I'm going to play a podcast promo for a podcast I actually do listen to. And then we'll be back with uh, some Bernie Wrightson goodness. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which, at this very moment, still prevails and could, at any time, lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi, folks. Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. Recently, uh, we found out that Bernie Wrightson had passed away, and so th- I think that the backup story for this episode of Swamp Things, it's appropriate to do a Bernie Wrightson story. Now, Bernie Wrightson is well, well known for <laughs> just lots and lots of horror comic stuff. I mean, he is the man when it comes to horror comics. And he's an inspiration to me as a writer, hoping to capture some of his visual flair in the things that I do. But um, Tim Barron, who is an uh, artist that I've worked with on a number of projects, he you could totally see Bernie Wrightson as just an amazing influence on him. And yeah, so The Muck Monster is a short story that he did. And it was this story that I kind of found, I can't remember how I found it. It might've been in some sort of list. Um, before Swamp Men came out, there was a list I found online of random uh, swamp creature stories. And, and this was one of them that I found. And it's an interesting story because it is a precursor to his Frankenstein that he wanted to do. And I actually found an uh, interview with him from comic book artist and they they talk to him about the story that he did, and he talks about uh, how um, it, this. Uh, they ask him about it being um, if it was his take on the Frankenstein monster, and he said it was almost like a dry run for me. I had Frankenstein in mind, and I wanted to do it. I had an idea of what I wanted the drawings to look like, and the muck monster, and a few other things I did for Warren were the embryonic version of the pen work that finally showed up in Frankenstein. 
And it's very evident, very, very evident. This one involves a mad scientist who creates a creature and the creature comes to life and the creature deals with being alive. And the final page of this story is just plain wonderful. Now, my, my judgment on this for the cover is there, there isn't cover. <laughs> uh, the creature itself, though, is um, thin and kind of, if you've seen his Frankenstein creature, imagine his Frankenstein creature covered in slime. And that's pretty close to it. It's a good creature. And the story itself is a good story. It's a short story. And it's online in a number of different places. Um, I would say, seek it out, find it. But this guy uh, is, I mean, when it comes to horror comics, I mean, it, let's let's face it, Swamp Thing is what it is because of Bernie Wrightson. And yeah, so this short story uh, after he passed away and I was kind of looking around at some stuff and then I thought, oh, wait a minute. Um, There's another short story I was going to talk about for this episode. But with this passing, I thought I, I would talk about the Muck Monster. And it find it, take a look at it. It's good, 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 good stuff. And, and a lot of that is because for me, there isn't anyone like Bernie Wrightson who is able to capture the beauty of horror to capture. Uh, he draws these horrific things, but there is this strange beauty to it. And you know, even in a, a story like this, where it's just about birth and death. And again, it's something that could be very, very, just looked at very, very nihilistically. But at the same time, there's this beauty to the mess of life. And maybe that's, maybe that's what horror is about. Maybe horror is about the beauty found in the mess of life. And maybe it's not at all about that. Maybe it's more about the mess than the beauty. But for Bernie Wrightson, there's there's definitely this, there's just something to the ugliness of the horror of life. And in the muck monster, it kind of, in a lot of ways, is the epitome of that, where you have this creature who just wants to understand, you know, what's going on, what's life, you know, and then uh, the final page is unforgettable. It is uh, what my one of my screenwriting professors, uh, instructors called the haunting moment, where it's a moment that you just think about outside of the context of the actual story. And so this story itself um, was from um, a Warren magazine. Um, I think it's from Erie, one of the Erie magazines. And again, you know, this is one of those days where I'm not... <laughs> I'm on my vacation, and so I don't have internet. This house, this cottage that we're in has no Wi-Fi, and that was intentional. So I have my laptop. I have my microphone. I have some comics. <laughs> I have some notes, even, but I don't have access to internet. And it's glorious. It's wonderful. So with all that said, uh, we're going to play another promo, and then we're going to talk about Swamp Creatures on the screen. Thank you. 
He has been challenged to read all the comics he has collected. This podcast will summarize, review, and reminisce about a single comic book issue and the time period somewhat chronologically by release date. He keeps a stack of comics near his bedside for when the time is right. Who is this interesting comic fan and what is the podcast? Hello, my name is Pat. I don't normally do podcasts about the comic books I read, but when I do, I podcast about them on The Longbox Crusade. Listen to it on iTunes, Stitcher, or on theLongboxCrusade.com, and check out the Facebook page. Read them all, my friends. So another interesting thing that happened last year was that there was two animated um, features that came out, and both of them featured magic characters. One of them featured Marvel magic characters, and the other one featured DC magic characters. Now, the Marvel one was really more of an all-ages kind of thing, but Man-Thing was right there, and he was front and center and on the cover. Now, I say the cover... But I can't actually say I've seen this in stores because the cover is not a physical cover. It's a digital cover. I've only seen this as a rental on iTunes or a purchase on iTunes. I I believe I rented it on Amazon. The other one was uh, Justice League Dark, which is definitely not for all ages. (laughs) But uh, it was an animated feature that there's Swamp Thing on, on on the cover. And I've been excited about this. Now, when I first heard of this thing... Uh, It was when Guillermo del Toro was involved and there was going to be a live action movie called Justice League Dark. And it's one of those things where people were saying, what is DC thinking? And they still are saying, what is DC thinking? But they're saying it about other stuff. For example, there was a Black Adam movie that they're thinking about doing. Like, this is how they're going to do their universe. They're going to do a Superman movie. They're going to add Batman to the next Superman movie. Batman is going to have a cameo in a Suicide Squad movie. And that's how they're building their their universe. And they're going to go from there and make sense, okay, to bring Wonder Woman in and then do, uh, you know, a Justice League movie. But um, Justice League Dark. So before you even have really established your Justice League movie, you're going to bring in this Justice League Dark, which is a spinoff of of the thing. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. But Guillermo del Toro was involved. That was all I needed to know. Now, I can't judge what could have been. I can only judge what is. And what is this thing? (laughs) It's an animated direct to uh, direct to I don't know what you call it now. It's not direct-to-video anymore. I mean, I guess it is direct-to-video. It's just, um, just it's also available, you know, through streaming and stuff like that. But it's um, the there's a magic problem that comes comes up, and the Justice League can't handle it. They can't take care of it. It's magic, and they need John Constantine to come. And John Constantine is going to pull together some people, and he's going to take care of this problem, and. Yeah, so there's some legitimate horror involved in this. Um, some of the things that are happening, uh, there's suicide attempts that are happening because of demons pushing people to doing this and stuff. And it's not terrible. I'm just going to put it that way. This whole thing is, it's not terrible. Um, I rented it because Swamp Thing was in it. I'm glad I didn't buy it because Swamp Thing was in it because I don't know if I'm going to watch it again. Uh, but Swamp Thing has a couple big moments and they're fun and his 
big moment at the end is a little bit touching. I mean, if you know the character and if you know the things that the character has gone through and is going through in different comic book iterations of the character, that final moment with Swamp Thing in the final battle, it's it's a little bit touching. And um, I didn't get a lump in my throat or anything like that. Not not that touching, <laughs> but, uh, it was, I, I really liked those moments, but those moments were not enough for me to want to, you know, drop 15 bucks to, to purchase this on DVD or, or Blu-ray. The other thing I wanted to throw out there, there's a poop monster in this story. Yes, a poop monster. And look, poop monsters are swamp monsters in my book. I mean, any kind of slimy monstery thing is a swamp monster. Um, for me, as far as you know, this podcast is concerned, where I'm talking about swamp things, um, swamp monster is not uh, just a monster in the swamp. So it's not like a a dinosaur that has to get caught in the swamp. No, there has to be some slime involved, and and if there's not slime involved, there has to be actual swamp involved in the creation of the creature. Um, so Solomon Grundy, I don't really consider. Uh, a swamp monster, even though I guess he could be considered one, and maybe he should be. But the creature from the Black Lagoon, not a swamp monster, but a poop monster. I would consider that a swamp monster. I mean, uh, <laughs> at least a bog beast, right? Or a slime, slime creature. Uh, so for me, it's not a really recommendable movie, especially based on the whole swamp thing appearance. Uh, but it's serviceable. Now, if you're a fan of Constantine or Dead Man or Zantana. Um, you might like it. You probably will like it, uh, but I'm glad I didn't purchase it. So for the Swamp Things on the screen, when I talk about that, I'm not going to talk about cover, creature, and content. I'm going to talk, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask, is this muck-encrusted or is this mockery? All right. Muck-encrusted is a good thing. It means it's a good Swamp Monster screen thing. Okay. Uh, mockery means no, it's not muck encrusted mockery i'm going to call this one a mockery it was not i I just can't really recommend it very much so right now we're going to play uh something that comes from i'm very excited to to do this you know we're talking about swamp monsters on the screen i have a trailer a trailer for a movie that is coming soon and it's a swamp creature movie and so i'm going to play the trailer right now and then we will close this episode down but i'm very very honored to be able to give the the world premiere of this preview for a new swamp monster movie coming soon to a cinema near you coming soon from whispering moon productions swamp man thing the motion picture a movie that dares to explore the darkest reaches of the swamp and of the soul. Uh, uh, honey, is there any leftover pizza? No, Tom. The kids ate it all. Oh. <sighs> it's out there. Tom, I'm gonna have to ask you to work overtime tonight. But, but my son has a t-ball game tonight. T-ball, eh? Well, you're gonna have to miss it. You can thank me later. <laughs> oh. If you stare into the emptiness of the abyss. Your blood pressure is a little high, and you are a little overweight, but nothing some uh, exercise and a change of diet can't handle. Anything else you're worried about? Well, Doctor, I I just find myself going to the bathroom at night a lot. Well, that's common in a man of your age. Uh, 
There's just one place you don't want to go. Oh, such a lovely night for a walk in the swamp, dear. You know, honey, I, I just feel like I'm having, I don't know, a midlife crisis or something. Oh, dear. He's drawn to you. I just wonder, what's, what's the meaning of it all? What? What's that? Look, look out! Run away, Tom, run away! I am, I am, I am. Ooh. Watch out. Tom, get out of there, get out now, he's reaching for you. Do not let the beast catch you. Ah, he's got my arm, no, no! What, what, what did it do to you? For whoever knows existential dread gets a mild rash at the Swamp Man thing's touch. My arm. Oh man, my arm kind of itches. Swamp Man thing, if you wonder at the futility of it all, don't dare venture into the swamps or face the inconvenience of a dry skin condition. So what seems to be the problem? My arm, it's kind of red and it itches all the time. Not a bad itch, just a constant nagging itch. Hmm, yeah, there's really nothing I can do for you there, pal. You're you're just going to have to live with it. Okay. <laughs> okay, so muck encrusted or mockery, you decide. Uh, I do want to thank you so much for listening and thank you for spending time with me to talk about, you know, some comic book stuff that I just really get excited about. And uh, from here, where can you go? Well, you can go to Comic Book Time Machine. You can listen to me and a couple of my friends ramble on and on about comic books. Uh, it, just a wide variety of comic books, including Star Wars comic books and um, Manhunter comic books and Spider-Man comic books, what ifs, all those kind of things. They're all there. And we've had, we have over 100 episodes now. And the reason we have over 100 episodes is because we're having fun doing this, talking about comics. And so beyond that, I just want to thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. If you've got any memories about this story, any thoughts about this story, then please, please, please go ahead and contact us through our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash machine, or um, you can send us an email, feedback at machine. And yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear from you about about your favorite swamp monster or your experience with it. Not Stephen King's it, but Theodore Sturgeon's it, which is much, much older than Stephen King's it. Although I wonder how this will help the SEO of this podcast um, by doing an episode that is <laughs> called it. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. If you're here because you were expecting Stephen King... Thank you for sticking with it to this point. I appreciate it. And I hope you enjoyed what you heard. Uh, so all that said, uh, I just this is kind of my tagline for the Swamp Monster podcast. And that is, if you're not having fun reading comics, you're doing it wrong. So enjoy what you read. Read what you enjoy. And to everyone, Godspeed. <laughs>